Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. My name is Adam Woodall, and on today's show, we have Tara Button, founder and CEO of Buy Me Once, and the author of A Lifeless Throwaway. Welcome, Tara. Hello. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's a beautiful, sunny summer's day. So, first of all, just quickly, why am I doing this show? Because, well, I'm a storyteller. I've worked in sustainability for nearly 12 years now, and I'm passionate about communicating game-changing, scalable, sustainable solutions, particularly those led by entrepreneurs. And this show is all about communicating those inspiring solutions to the world, so I'm particularly delighted to welcome Tara. Now, of course, uh, there are other ways that you can engage with Inspiring Sustainability as well as listening to this one show. You can subscribe to the podcast, uh, which will be great. And also, you can find out much more about what I'm doing and what uh, Inspiring Sustainability is doing by going to the website, inspiring-sustainability.com. So, on to today's conversation. Today, we're going to talk about testing products, changing business models, educating audiences, and the book Tara's written, which kind of brings a lot of that together. So just to start off, uh, Tara, can you give me the elevator pitch of Buy Me Once, and then uh, maybe we'll go into a bit of your journey of how you got to be here talking to me today. Sure. So um, the elevator pitch for Buy Me Once would be it's a website uh, where we find the longest lasting and most sustainable products on the planet. And we try to persuade people to buy for the long term rather than a whole churn of um, constant inferior products. Great. That's n- nice and precise. Um, so now that's, uh, I remember actually seeing you talk about that um about two years ago i think nearly when i think you were just starting out um and i know that there was actually a journey leading up to that as well because you did a very good presentation there and i remember thinking to myself then i'd love to interview this person and so i'm really happy to be doing that now so yeah kind of go back in time take us back in a time machine to um tara pre buy me once and what (laughs) what what led you to be in this place now where you're where you've got this uh, now i understand global website selling a book that's going global as well Sure. So, I mean, if we go all the way back, it you know, the, there were some clues to be found there. I was a um, environmentalist from a very early age um, and a bit of an entrepreneurial sort. Um, when I was about seven, I invented, and that's inverted commas, um, a projector screen um, where um, I had a box with a torch in it and I projected save the save the world onto my bedroom walls. But the idea was to project save the earth onto the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the big goal um, because me and my best friend were so upset by you know all the animals going extinct and the pollution. And we thought that if we managed to get a torch that was bright enough uh, and we... Um, Uh, got this message out there that people would miraculously start recycling and (laughs) stop polluting and we could have saved the world Uh, unfortunately uh, we didn't manage to find a torch that was that was bright enough even my dad's (laughs) big torch didn't quite get there which was disappointing Um, so it it was kind of there in my DNA from an early age I always kind of cared and I always wanted to do something about it but um, you know as life does it kind of um, 
kind of takes you in weird directions and I ended up falling into advertising which was kind of the opposite I was kind of trying to persuade people to buy lots of rubbish that they didn't necessarily need um um so it's kind of funny how life can kind of take you in in, in that way but one of my clients was Le Creuset I don't know if you um know Le Creuset they make um this amazing cast iron uh, cookware like really classic stuff that you, mm. you your grandmother has and you pass down to your grandchildren and I was given one of these pots and it was actually you know in the process of using it that I thought well why isn't everything I own like this because you know it's beautiful it does its job you know perfectly and it will continue to do its job f- you know throughout my lifetime and it's something that I would and could end up kind of passing down I'll never have to buy a pot again that's off my shopping list mm-hmm. forever and I just loved that idea and I started thinking well there must be a website that I can go to that um, brings together all the longest lasting um, items that I mean that that must exist surely someone's thought of that and you know back in 2013 I you know I was looking around and, and nobody had had kind of built this website so I thought I started to kind of think well this should exist and the more I thought about it the more um, benefits I started to see around buying for life the um, you know if, if everyone uh, bought for longevity then there'd be much less waste much less uh, pollution from manufacturing there'd be much less kind of um, materialism and um, you know, Black Friday uh, scenes um, it seemed to solve huge amounts of um, of what are you know, for me some of the most pressing problems the world has people don't talk about longevity when it comes to the environment but it's actually the best thing you can do is to buy something that lasts a bit longer. So for example, if you buy a t-shirt that lasts two years instead of one year, you save 24% on your carbon emissions right there. So you can imagine that if you bring longevity um, as a kind of philosophy um, into your life, you can you know, be doing something amazing for the environment. And so this idea just started to grow and build and you know, to the point where it was stalking me. And I still had a full-time job. So you know, I always just assumed it would be one of those ideas that I would have thought of, but someone else would end up doing it. And then I'd be able to sit there and kind of go, I thought of that and feel very smug about it. Um, but um, it literally wouldn't leave me alone as an idea. It, it kind of stalked me to the point where it was kind of waking me up at night saying, you really have to do something about this. Because every time I read anything about the environment, I got this kind of kick in the stomach feeling like, you've thought of something that actually could be beneficial and and helpful in this area no one else is doing anything about it so you have to (laughs) so um eventually I gave in it took two years of the idea stalking me uh, for me to actually go all right all right I'll do something um and you know despite the fact that I had no idea how to build a website I um I started uh, trying to cobble something together and it was kind of very bloggy at first it was kind of you know my research and the and the products that I'd uh, identified as being the best in each product category um, and I started to find these amazing 
um, you know, standout products that did exist, like socks with a lifetime guarantee. When I found socks with a lifetime guarantee, I was like, wow, you know, maybe this this uh, project can really work. Um, and then I had about 100 products on the site when a journalist found it on Twitter and um, she wrote an article in The Telegraph and The Telegraph article went viral globally and that was just an insane time. Suddenly my entire inbox exploded and it was all like, this is amazing, I love what you're doing, keep going, this is what the world needs or, you know, will you come to America and be on holiday? Will, will you write a book about this? Um, or you've spelt Dr. Martin's wrong three times. Um, <laughs> suddenly it was, uh, you know, my entire inbox was, was going absolutely mental. And I was still at work trying to write TikTok ads. <laughs> so um, I kind of marched into my boss's office and said, I think I need to leave. Um, and I think I need to leave today. And luckily, he uh, is a very cool person and said, I, I agree with you. And he let me go um, that day to, so that I could jump on this kind of crazy wave and see where it took me. And how long ago was that uh, day when you stood in front of your boss? That was January 2016. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think it was uh, not long after then that actually I saw you talk, and um, and so yeah. So how, how's the last uh, two and a half years been then since you've been cra- riding this crazy wave? Um, well, it's the the, the the wave's still kind of um, uh, causing causing trouble and ups and downs as you'd expect with with a startup, but it's been an amazing ride. Um, uh, I've now grown the team to a team of seven and we have one person now in an office in New York, which is really um, exciting and great. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've gone from 100 products back then to a couple of thousand now and that's growing um, every day. Um, we've been through two new website builds, one of which was disastrous and uh, very much a learning experience. Um, and this new uh, website, which is doing um, much better for us. So um, yeah, it's, it's been very exciting and um, has, has brought all sorts of opportunities, like the uh, opportunity to write a book about the philosophy behind By Me Once. Mm, yeah, so I think uh, there's a, a lot there. What I, I think there'll be kind of three main things that I think uh, we'll, I'll be curious about, which is some of the, the products that you've been working with and those mm. that you're, you're selling, the business model and how, how you and, and what's around it, the movement uh, that you, this is maybe inspiring or part of. And, that, and then also uh, maybe it'll be coming through that or maybe direct questions about the book itself because it'd be really interesting about the, the philosophy underneath it. But mm-hmm. So just to give us some flavor of the sort of products that you've, been, that you've got, tell me some stories about those products you've been testing. Sure. Um, I need to have a bit of a cough. He's <coughs> um, got, got a bit of a hay fever here. Um, we found some great stuff and, and it's always so exciting when you find a standout product that really um, has all of the things that we're looking for. We look at 
um, the materials to see whether the um, brand is using the best materials for the job or maybe there's something more sustainable sustainable about those materials. Um, we look at um, the way the product is put together. So you know, is it built in a way that makes it more sturdy or more fixable? Um, we look at the reviews to make sure that it's not just the brand saying this is mm. something we do, that it's actually the that's being backed up by customer experience. Um, we look into the ethics um, because obviously we um, don't want anything on the site that um, would compromise that. And, and finally, um, uh, we look at the aftercare policy. Mm. So that's um, important for us. So we want brands that back up their products um, with uh, promises to fix it or take responsibility for it in some ways um, into the future rather than just, you know, flogging it as quickly as possible and then, and then kind of stepping back and saying, well, you know, it's out there in the world now, let's not worry about it anymore. Um, so some of the stuff that we found is, is pretty extraordinary. So some of my favorites are a pen that has enough ink in it to last a lifetime. Um, it might not last me a lifetime because I'm a writer, so I potentially write more than the average person, but um, I might have to buy two maybe hmm. um, for my whole lifetime. Um, but um, these pens were originally invented for astronauts, so the ink is pressurized inside the chamber, so you can write in zero gravity if that's something that you're, you're interested in. But for me... Uh, what's exciting is that um, it has all the ink in there. You don't have to buy refills or anything like that. You have your pen. That's your one pen. And you don't have to have all these kind of crappy biros mm -hmm. that kind of – it's like they breed in the corners of, of houses. It's <laughs> like um, you know, creating clutter. Um so that's one of my favorites. I also really love the One World Football, which is a football which even if you stab it and run over it with a truck, it doesn't deflate. Um, and I think that's that's a kind of really cool um, uh, product that they've come up with. But um, one of the reasons I really love it is it that when you buy a football, they also give a football to underprivileged children. So mm. it's, a, it's a really um, wonderful so social um uh, interest um, and you know, you've got real social purpose behind it as a brand and, and we really love that um, we've got some um, amazing umbrellas that have a lifetime guarantee so um, you know, apparently us as Britons we buy 1.1 umbrellas a year mm. uh, spending between kind of 10 to 15 pounds um, each time um, so if you buy an umbrella, even if it's more expensive, as, as you would expect that this one is, it's about um, £90, you actually end up saving, um, I, I worked out I would save about £600 to £700 over my lifetime <laughs> by buying this umbrella. And if you imagine this is just an umbrella and there is so many products like this that we actually end up buying quite regularly. Um but there's there's no need really if you buy the right product um, up front then then there's there's no need and actually um, one of the things that people always say to me is like well yes but I always lose my umbrellas um, they've actually got around that by um, putting a chip so it tells you if you're leaving it behind on the bus uh, which I think is pretty clever. 
Yes, it's very, uh, and actually uh, something I can relate to and something I think you've got on the website is uh, the the wallets which are made out of fire hoses um, yes. uh, by Elvis and Cressa. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. We absolutely love them because not only are they reusing a material that would used to have gone to landfill, all these firemen hoses, and they're, they're made out of this incredibly durable material, as you'd imagine they need to be for, to do their job. You know, once they were um, being used for a certain amount of time, they're all just sent to landfill. But um, I think, you know, for the last few years, none of these hoses have been going to landfill because Elvis and Cress have been picking them up and turning them into beautiful, uh, very sustainable and durable um, accessories like wallets and, and bags. Um, and they're absolutely stunning. And they also kind of guarantee to fix them for life, which is which is brilliant. So they're kind of the perfect Buy Me Once product. And so, um, the yeah, because I, I'm actually a good example of that. And one of the things is, is that um, what has just come to me is that the, the challenge about our society is we want everything now. Yeah. And so one, one of the, I, I, I'm aware, maybe the objections that people provide to some of the products that are many of the products unfortunately that are on your website is that they are more expensive 90 pound umbrella rather than a 10 or 15 pound umbrella these wallets i I remember when i bought it and that was about five years ago it was Mm. maybe 60 pounds when i could go to you know lewis's and buy one for 15 quid but Mm. i was buying it for a lifetime and um so the thing is it's actually about that one of the things with uh, there's a bit of delayed gratification as well because it might be that I uh, I need to uh, pace the amount that I can buy some new stuff because I can't afford to buy lots of new things all at the same time which are then going to uh, last me a lifetime and the wallet is a, is a good example and then also just to kind of close that story is they were very good because um, there was actually that the, the original wallet that I got and I think I got one of the relatively early ones basically mm. started to fall apart when they, they mm. didn't have this lifetime guarantee and that's why I bought it I thought this would be with me for a lifetime so I got in touch with them sent it back and they actually were really good they just said look we, we actually we don't think we can fix this we're just going to mm-hmm. send you a new one um mm-hmm. when it was way past the warranty period and so yeah. that was like and so now i'm a i'm a proper brand ambassador for elvis yeah. Kessler, um for that and also because i saw it as an investment um yeah. I, I think so i think and that, so ha, have you done any calculations actually on this sort of um average uh, kind of price differential between what some of your products are on the website and what a kind of an inverted commas a good uh, kind of alternative is um it, that you could get elsewhere um it's really hard to find that data mm. um it, it's not necessarily hard to find the price what's hard to find is the average lifespan mm of that um, alternative product because Mm. companies don't like to tell you how long their products last Um, and that's actually something I'm campaigning to change. I want companies to start um, sharing that data with with us um, so that we can give it out to the world. But, you know, anecdotally, um, you know, a, a frying pan, for example, um, a non-stick frying pan, it, it might start to flake after about three to four years mm-hmm. um, and it loses its non-stick and at that point it's considered 
um, useless. And you know that that frying pan might um, cost something like um, twenty nine ninety nine, you know, thirty pounds maybe for a kind of average um, frying pan, um, you know, a decent one um, you know, from te- Tefal. Hmm. Um, um, and if you consider, so our frying pans are from a brand called Solitechnics. They have a multi-century warranty in that your grandchildren's 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 grandchildren um, can can be using them in the future. Um, and um, so they might cost something like a hundred hundred and twenty pounds. So you would you would need to use it for um, a few years to kind of make your money back. But if you imagine that that pan would then go on throughout the generations all the money that's then saved down the line all those 30 pounds every three years you know it builds up so um it's definitely worth doing and one of the things that's come to me is actually um what your website is is actually it's not just a transactional website it's actually a a website that tells stories and because that's that's you know like you can go to the guardian and that tells lots Mm -hmm. of stories and and it has a specialist environment page and uh, in inspiring sustainability also has that nothing obviously as grand as the guardian but in fact uh because of you know you gave the example of the football and this this pan what's really interesting about it isn't just the fact that it's a transactional thing about that it's lasts longer but it's with the football it's like it gives to the kids with the pan mm-hmm. it's like multi-generational mm-hmm. and those stories are actually what's also inspiring about it and i think that's it's brilliant that you're bringing that literally thousands of stories onto one website and so it's uh, it's it must be an interesting uh, life's work almost a life's work this it sounds as though yeah absolutely and i think that's the wonderful thing about what we do and and what we find so um fulfilling about it is that we can genuinely get behind our products you know when i was working in advertising before Mm. um i was working for an agency and brands would come to my to, to my agency and they'd say you know sell this chocolate bar um and it didn't matter that um i didn't necessarily agree that we should be pushing the chocolate consumption of children upwards um it was kind of you know you're hired to the highest bidder and the brands that had the money um to be able to hire our services to make these ads and to market them um were the ones that um we had to get behind and now it's almost like I am finding brands that I feel are worthy of the world's attention and and that should be um, you know given more attention and marketed more. And I will um, I will market them whether they want me to or not. Mm-hmm. I will kind of champion them and shout about them and say how wonderful they are. You know um, whether the brands have even heard of Buy Me Once or not. Um, it's kind of about um, keeping our integrity and, and, and choosing the brands that we really feel that can make a difference in the world. If, if you know, money's being channeled through to these brands instead of, you know, brands that are you know, making rubbish or mm. uh, have damaging environmental um, policies um, or, or dubious ethics then you know the whole world can can really shift quite dramatically 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so basically, you're you're a curator of great stories, and yes. then people can choose whether they want to buy into that story in a metaphorical and a literal sense. In and in your yes. case, that's just fabulous. So on on this journey, you've indicated that there's a, there's a bit of a wave, and I'm guessing sometimes the wave uh, sometimes flips you over to use the surfing mm-hmm. analogy. Um, so tell me a bit more about your business model and how that might have evolved over time. Sure. Well, I mean, I I suppose the thing to remember is that it wasn't a business model at all when it started. I just wanted this idea to exist. Um, And I had to ask myself quite early on because I was struggling with kind of business model things and I didn't know anything about e-commerce. And it was taking a lot of energy and time trying to figure out how I was going to make money out of it. And it was actually a friend that said, you know, worry about that later worry about the money later just build it and see if people are interested and if people are interested in it then work out how to monetize it afterwards Mm. so um that's how I, i went about it so it was essentially an unmonetized blog site that looked like a shopping site to be fair it had a buy now button but the buy now button um just took you through to um you know, a place that I had found which sold that product, you know, wherever that happened to be, whether that was on John Lewis or Amazon. And I hadn't even figured out how to uh, monetize those links yet. I did then, um, once the site had gone viral, I I worked out um, how to monetize those links through affiliate marketing, which is when um, the customer goes through to um, John Lewis, for example, and, uh, and then buys the product and then, you know, we might get a tiny little mm. um, commission back, so that might be kind of two to three percent. Um, it's, it's it's very low, and it's it's not enough to kind of sustain a and scale a business. It's kind of you know if you wanted to be a blogger in your spare time and you wanted a bit of extra pocket money, it could be it could be mm. that kind of business. But for a business where you know we've got grand plans and we want to scale and become a, a really you know, a big player in the sustainability and durability world, um, that wasn't going to cut it. So um, we um, we first needed to get our site um, built in a way that it could take proper payments. So that meant um, changing our site to a Shopify site. So that took quite a while and we went by way of Word, uh, WordPress, which was a mistake. <laughs> Um, and that kind of unfortunately uh, waylaid us for a few months. Yeah. But we're now on a on a lovely Shopify site that that works um, well as a as a platform where customers can buy the products directly. And then we um, the new business model is that those products are then drop shipped by the manufacturer or the brand. So um, it's a bit like not on the high street works. So you the customer puts in their credit card details or their you know their paypal details on our site and essentially buys the product on the site but we don't have a big warehouse Mm. keeping a whole load of melee Mm. washing machines and footballs and socks and knickers and that would um, bankrupt us pretty quickly if we (laughs) had to buy all of the stock of all the things that we that we had so it's a way of uh, mitigating the risk but still being able to make a much um bigger margin mm, yeah and so you can actually create a proper business because and i think this is one of the things that's a, the tricky thing that because 
Um, and I'd, I'd like to, to know a little bit more about uh, this is because this is kind of a movement and uh, mm-hmm. so there's something kind of kind of campaigning and there's changing the world. So it kind of feels almost as though it should be kind of uh, more of a kind of a charitable Greenpeace type thing. But when it comes down to it, um, what's going to make this really effective and grow is that it's a, it's a business which makes some money and then you could get investors, which then means you can get more staff and kind of create a virtuous cycle. And so yeah. um, talk to me a little bit about that kind of maybe about how it is a movement and maybe how there might be a bit of a tension there between the, the fact that you are looking to educate audiences um, towards be, what this is as a movement and then also that you've got a business to run which uh, you want to create money to be able to kind of scale the operation. Um, well, I kind of see them both as going hand in hand and it's actually something that I talk about um to the advertising and marketing industry is that I think that um, when it comes to sustainability, we can no longer trust governments necessarily to do the right thing. Certainly, if you look at what's happening in America, we can't trust that the government is going to save us. Mm. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of change has to happen very quickly for us to get out of the um, situation that we're in now when it comes to climate change. And so I see it as um, uh, an opportunity and the um, responsibility of the business community to um, put um, the world first and and to try and um, change their business models in the way that some big businesses are already doing. You know, if you look at Unilever and how much they've changed over the last few years, um, to put sustainability right at the core of their business. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that they need to stop being profitable or that they need to stop being businesses or that they suddenly have to become charities. You know, the way that um, we're going to get out of this is if, if people are, you know, making money out of um, doing the right thing. You know, if you look at the great things that are happening in the sustainable energy um, uh, arena, you know, a lot of that is because it's becoming really great business. Mm. Um, and that is then when all, where all the talent goes, um, you know, where the, where the energy goes. And we need the energy and the talent and the money going into projects and movements and businesses that are going to help the planet. So I don't see it as a conflict at all. No, absolutely. And and that's that's great that obviously you, you see that and I think that's that's super important. And so one thing that some of the listeners might be aware of is around uh circular economy, which mm-hmm. for those that don't, circular economy is the concept that um, it's a response to the linear economy. The linear economy being um basically e- extract um, from the environment, uh, make and then dispose. So it's like one line, and then circular economy is actually working out how you get things so that um, that so that there's a loop of uh, kind of within the economy environmentally, so that you don't waste things, and so that that for example, a a telephone doesn't need to just get thrown away. It can the components within it can go into a new telephone at some point in the future, as an example. So now one of the things that with what um, you're doing is something that's kind of basically it's it's extending it, it, one of the aspects of it is extending out but it could be just seen as being extending the linear economy 
But what? How do you kind of connect with the, this circular economy um, in in that side of things as well? Uh, well, I actually think that the circular economy is is the only way forward and is one of the only um, real. Um, uh, uh, verified ways that you know, well thought out ways that we can uh, move forward as um, as an economy and um, and and as businesses. Um, so, I think that buy me once aggression towards that uh, for sure. Um, it's something that I um, consciously think think that uh, we're trying to do. So when you look at the circular economy model, the highest value loop is the is the one which um, is allows a product to be used in the original form that the product was made. Mm-hmm. So no energy needs to go into um, fixing it or um, or turning it into something else. Um, if no energy needs to be spent or you know, no extra materials needs to come in to change an object into something else, then that's the best possible outcome. And that's what happens when a product is, is built to last. It's able to endure um, for longer. That's not to say we don't think very much about the fixability of our objects and that's some, something that we definitely look into when we're choosing things especially things like appliances or something like that we look into the brands that have thought about the fixability Mm. um, and allow those products to be fixed you know so they have the screw you know they don't use screws that uh, normal screwdrivers can't unscrew and that Mm. they keep their spare parts and they'll send them out to you if you ask them so Juliet would be one of um uh one instance of a brand like that that's um kind of bucking the trend if you try if you try to unscrew a, you know an asda toaster you're not going to you're not going to be able to get into it because it'll have safety screws in there and it's not made to be fixed at all so um the best possible outcome is the product endures and it's able to be used again and again and again in perpetuity um then um then it's that that product can just be fixed and again continue um in the same way as um, it was originally used, and then you know the next best outcome is that it might be um, upcycled mm. or refurbished, or um, you know the components taken and um, and upgraded in some way, um, so that it's able to kind of continue um, living on, and then and then it's recycling, and then the, the last possible. Um, thing which we don't want to tour the sandfill. So, mm. what we're doing at Buy Me Once is very much right at the top of the value chain, and it's mm. something that people don't talk about because all of the you know, government energy has been put into recycling because mm. it's easier to tell companies to think about recycling than it is to tell them to make their products last longer. Yeah, great. So I'm just aware of uh, that. That's. Uh, we've been talking for a long time, and um, um, uh, that the I want to make sure that we don't take up too much of your time today. But uh, okay. before we go, I would like to kind of uh, finish off by um, you giving us some examples about how you educate uh, the the world about this. Now, one particular one is obviously your book. So, if mm-hmm. you can tell me a bit more about the book 
Um, but as well, if you could tell me how, uh, just give me one kind of little, uh, little or, or large vignette about how you, uh, or, or other ways that you're educating audiences, just to kind of wrap the show up for today. Uh, absolutely. So uh, I had the great honour of um, having a chance to write a book that was then published in the UK by HarperCollins and in the US by uh, Penguin Random House. Um, and the book brings together all the philosophy of uh, Buy Me Once and it helps people kind of see the benefits of buying for life. I think there's a lot of books about you know how to declutter, how to get out of debt, how to be happier. Mm. This book kind of brings together all those threads and, and shows how um, we can, if we have a long-term view in terms of what we choose to bring into our life then that can solve a huge amount of those problems because you're less swayed by materialism it gives you um strength against um uh, you know, the materialistic messaging out mm. there which is really not in our best interests as as human beings you know we we get kind of anxious and um and end up impulse buying a, a whole mm. wardrobes of stuff that then when we open our wardrobe we feel we have nothing to wear because we haven't had a chance to to think about it and this is very much what you know, mainstream marketing does they're trying to get us to buy a constant churn of stuff so this book helps um people um to move away from that materialism to find their own core sense of style so that they are able to make better choices um so when they do decide to bring something into their life it's going to be something that they're going to like for for a long time mm. and it's about picking things that are meaningful um and and are going to you know best serve the happiness of that person so um i think there's been lots of books about how to declutter um, in terms of how to give things away or, or how to kind of um, shove stuff out of your homes. But there's been very little on why we got so cluttered in the first place mm -hmm. and how we can not get cluttered um, in the future. So this book um, kind of is is very helpful from, from that point of view. Um, and something that I will be doing in September, which I'm very happy about, um, is actually um, going to San Francisco to film masterclasses about how people can create um, a, a kind of home environment and a wardrobe that that they w can love for uh, a lifetime. And so that's very much a kind of lifestyle um, you know, video. People will come to it just wanting mm. to have a calmer home, um, a, a clearer environment maybe to to save money um so they're not coming at it from an environmental angle but it absolutely will help with the environment because it means that you know when somebody finds their you know their purpose for buying things and they buy mindfully and uh, they're naturally going to be um you know buying less and buying um buying better things and things that meet their values so it all kind of flows back into the environmental mission but it's kind of coming at it from the point of view of how you can have a 
um, a decluttered home. Mm, amazing. So that's that's so basically you're going to be a multimedia star. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, well, we will try, Adam. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and this is really important that we've got, uh, you know, this is all, obviously, it's all about the stories and, and you're yeah. telling some uh, new stories and also telling a story that, as you say, is going to appeal to a lot of people because when it comes down to it, um, except for some weird people like me, uh, we don't live our lives focused on sustainability in our in, in society. We, we, no. There's lots of other things that we focus on. And so what you're doing is giving people an opportunity to be sustainable. And most of the people that would buy into what you're doing are going to be interested in sustainability, but it's not going to be their primary motivator. And if we try to make it their primary motivator, as actually it's been proven time after time now, it doesn't work. So yeah. what you've done is fa- you're finding ways, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in talking to creative entrepreneurs like yourself, who are finding ways of, of s- slipping sustainability into the world sometimes, and the world doesn't even need to know as explicitly as we are doing. We're kind of being kind of like kind of like the good ninjas, um, kind of like slipping under cover of night and changing <laughs> everything. Um, so this that was that's a fabulous example of uh, how you're uh, educating audiences in in sort of different ways, and it's just brilliant that you've managed to hit that, and obviously that you're getting that attention, um, not just in Britain but uh, fully globally. Um, can you tell me some of just as a, as a final comment? Can you tell me some mm-hmm. of the countries uh, where you're selling the book in? Um, absolutely. So it's been sold in um, some weird and wonderful cu- countries. Whenever my agent emails me, he's like, we weren't expecting this, but Vietnam are very interested in the book and they've decided to put in an offer. So um, Vietnam was the first international company apart from a uh, country apart from America um, that uh, decided to publish the book. I've also got Taiwan um, China, which is a really interesting one because I actually have a bit of a chapter about how we should try and avoid buying from Chinese factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure what they're going to do when it comes to that bit of the book. Maybe they'll edit it out. Um, and uh, also Poland and Turkey. And I think there's a couple of others that I've forgotten, but it's all uh, slightly random and not necessarily the countries that you would expect because on the site certainly we get a lot of love from uh like finland and denmark and and france and germany so um those countries have yet to come in so um we'll we'll see we're crossing fingers for that well what's interesting is this again it's just it's different folks uh different strokes they people approach yeah. things in different ways and maybe uh that because actually one of the things is is those scandinavian countries that they almost don't need the book to understand the value of the website whereas yeah. maybe some of the vietnamese or chinese or taiwanese they need to understand this need to think about this get their heads around it. and ah yeah we can we understand why the website's important and so it's it's going to be really interesting but it's brilliant that you're getting out there and literally going global with this and fabulous so uh, well this conversation uh, I'm so grateful that you've given me all this time because uh, this has gone on longer than our usual conversations on inspiring sustainability but uh, I certainly have really enjoyed it and feel really inspired by what you've done and I'm hoping that that's done that for the the listeners thank you for so much if you've got all the way through to the end here and and just heard about uh, how we're going global with uh, 
uh, buy me once. Um, so if the listeners uh, now are, f- are feeling inspired by you, Tara, how do they find you online? Uh, you can find us at uh, buymeonce.com. Uh, you can find me at tarabutton.com. Um, and you're very welcome to say hello on Twitter um, at tarabutton or buy me once. Um, depending on whether you want to get in touch with me um, as an author or the company in general. Um, We're also on Instagram um, and Pinterest and Facebook. Um, So uh, wherever you go, you can search for Buy Me Once or or for for Tara Button will pop up somewhere. And um, the the book as well, where where can we find the book? Uh, You can find the book in all good bookshops um, in the UK and in the US. Um, and you can also uh, find it on online. It'll be sold at Waterstones and um, and Amazon, of course. Um, there's also an audio book version if you prefer to be read to. Uh, I certainly uh, like mm. to um, have all my books um, in audio form nowadays because it means I can do my laundry while I while I read inverted commas. Um, and um, it's also on on Kindle. So um, yeah, it's Wonderful. it's everywhere. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you so much for that, Tara. And uh, so this is Adam Woodhall uh, of Inspiring Sustainability. You can find us at uh, online as well. You can find me, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Adam Woodhall, and also through the website at inspiring-sustainability.com. Um, it'd be great if you subscribe to the sh- uh, podcast and uh, you can search for other uh, similar shows uh, if you haven't caught up with the o- others that have been produced. So this is finishing the show today. Thank you for the listeners. Thank you so much for Tara. And um, until the next time, looking forward to uh, hearing more from people about how they are inspiring sustainability. Sustainability.